All right, guys. How are we? Uh, welcome back to Next on the Platform. This is my first episode in so long, like six months, I think. Um, returning with Alan today. Alan was one of my first guests about a year ago, and since then we've been saying, oh, "Let's, you know, let's do another episode. Let's, I'll get you back on." And it just, it, it never happened. So I thought this week, let's make it happen. I got my laptop repaired. We can podcast again properly. Alan, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm very good and I'm happy to have you on today. Um, like I said, this has been an episode that I've wanted to do again for a while because obviously back in the day, back in my early podcasting days, my conversation skills were, I mean, at the time I thought I was all right, but looking back, I listened recently to the episode and I thought, holy shit, how did I? They weren't bad, how did man. I, they weren't bad. How did I post that? You're looking much bigger through the shoulders well, and traps you. since thank I last- you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> since I last spoke to you. And we'll get to those optimal rows. Um, but yeah, man. So obviously, basically just tell us what's been happening since I spoke to you. Obviously, a year is a long time to cover, but uh, what, you know, what's been going on with you? Yeah, so uh, the, I think since last year, um, I made a lot of changes to my training. Um, I competed for the first time, which, you know, that was obviously like a really big thing. Um, got a couple coaches and I think like, this last year, I've learned like so much about not, like not only powerlifting training, but like just being exposed to like so many of the highest level like coaches and athletes. Like I just think I've really began to under, understand like, you know, what it takes to be both a good athlete, both a good coach. And like, I think I like have a pretty good understanding of like where like the sport is headed. Mm. And what do you think uh, your mindset is ch- in terms of, because I've had a, a million different mindset changes from like, like I'm going to give powerlifting everything I've got. Like I'll only get to the, the top of, you know, the Australia or whatever if I put 100% in. And then other times I'm like, it's not that serious. Like it's like an internet sport. And I have these like, depending on how well training is going and depending on the people I'm talking to, I have these like fluctuations in in my views of powerlifting. What 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 has changed for you? That's a really good question. Um, you know, this last year, like I battled like a lot of injuries and a lot of setbacks. And after each one, I think I've like taken something away. And I think that is like just being grateful for the ability to train. Um, You know, just like I could be in a scenario or a circumstance where like, I just would not be able to train at all. um, Or, you know, I wouldn't have found lifting. And so I think my biggest mindset shift is just going into each each session, like thinking that like, not only am I going to give this my all, but I'm going to appreciate that I actually have the opportunity to, to do this in the first place. And like, when I talk to some lifters and talk to a few of the clients that I have, like, you know, when they have bad sessions, um, I just kind of repeat and reinforce to them that, um, you know, this isn't the end all be all, you know, even though lifting is important and training is important, um, you know, there's bigger things. And I think that just having that balance and also just understanding that um, this is, this is really just a gift to be able to do this is just an important thing. Mm. I think I had a bit of a, like a awakening if you could call it that when i because I, I, you probably know i had a few weeks off because i had the old skateboard incident and yeah. i've been milking that one for a few weeks now but yeah i think it, my mind shit shifted from like oh my god powerlifting is the best thing in the world and then, and then having to not bench for three weeks and or you know couldn't squat couldn't deadlift and i was like oh like life still because i haven't had a break from powerlifting since i started so like this two three week break with covid and i was like oh actually hang on powerlifting my life goes on without powerlifting basically and oh you know obviously knew that but um i think it's 
important how you view injuries. And obviously, I'd love to get your opinion on how, because it can be so, uh, it can be so deterring from the sport. And obviously, my injury wasn't powerlifting related, and I still felt so shit during it. So, how do you, how do you, what's your mindset like around? And because obviously, your injuries were powerlifting related. So, what's your mindset um, going in and coming out of those sort of things? Yeah, so I'll give like an example of actually something that happened to a lifter that goes to my gym. Um, I, I think he'll be okay with me like talking about this, but like he uh, tore his bicep on deadlift, right? And like for a natural lifter, like that's very uncommon. Um, and, you know, I was sitting there and thinking like, you know, if this happened to me, like I don't even know what I would do. But like you see like two weeks later, like after he got surgery, like he's back in the gym. And I think that kind of like reinforced to me like that you have to not only love you know hitting big numbers i think just with instagram and everything that's just become such a big priority to some people but you have to just love training in the first place and i think you can see that in some people um, whether they actually love training or they just love hitting big numbers and i think long term you know when you're not just going to have infinite free time and you're going to have a job and shit like that distinction is going to become very important Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're 100 right, and obviously, like, um, that's why we see this like burnout and powerlifting too, is because like, the longer you train for, the harder it gets, and then the and and I guess the time is the best separator um, of exactly what you're talking about between people who love training and people who love posting big numbers to Instagram. So we see this like, um, you know, for example, someone might get injured and the numbers aren't impressive anymore, or they think they'll never get back to where they were, or never blah 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 and obviously i'm not saying going through injury is an easy thing but you kind of see there are little things over time that will separate you know someone for example like you who i know does it for one reason and that's to be the best Mm. um and obviously you you love the sport too and you enjoy it compared to someone who might do it because it's you know it's cool or because as you know Instagram's involved and there's some potential cloud and that sort of thing. And I think there's things over time, for example, like an injury that will separate you from other people kind of thing. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, for for a majority of people in this sport, you know, there's going to be very little long-term gratification. Um, You know, lifters that are, might be really good, but just like placing like 10, 15th at nationals. Like if if your major focus is to be the best in the world, um, you know, that's like, 1% 1% of the bell curve, right? That's not going to be a lot of people. And I think a lot of these lifters just need a little bit of a different mindset in terms of like what they want out of their training. 100%. And like, I'm happy to admit that I'm not, like I know I'm not in that 1% of the bell curve. Like, and I'm sure, and we'll get to your coach, Liam, but I'm sure he would probably admit to that. Like, for example, someone like us, we're not in that 1%. You're just not. And so as much as I would love to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to be the strongest, blah, blah, blah. It's like I've got big goals for like national meets and that sort of thing. And I want to be the best. I'm just excited to be the best that I can be. So, because I've come to terms with the fact that like not, like I'm obviously gifted genetically to some degree, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to be number one at some world meet or, you know, in the in whatever weight class. And I think the, I mean, some people genuinely believe that they can be and they may not be, which is, it's fine. Um, but I think the sooner that you admit to yourself that like, you know, because if we set these massive unrealistic goals and then all of a sudden someone says to you like, oh, hey, like that's not going to happen. And all of a sudden you're 
you, know, you quit basically. So I think the sooner you be realistic with like what is possible for you, and I'm not saying to like cut yourself down, but you know, I, and I said a year ago, I remember saying a year ago to you, I said that you could easily be the best 105 kilo lifter. And I haven't changed my opinion on that, but like, that's not something that I can see myself doing. So I'm very like, people have got to be very realistic. You know, if, if someone like you, and I still believe someone like you has a shot at being the top of the weight class. So like, for example, with your mindset, you might be like, it's possible. So I'll do everything I can to get there. Is that kind of how you approach training? I think that like my approach to training at this point is like, like I trained like all throughout high school. Um, I like played a sport like all my life. And at this point, it's just like, it's so routine and it's so ingrained that I like, I don't really need uh, like a lot of external motivation to feel like, you know, this is, this is something that I need to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's not so cut and dry. Like in, in your example, right? Like um, you're a great lifter, but you've also, you know, you have this podcast, you're coaching people online and in person. Um I think you can get that gratification and make an impact without having to feel like you need to kill yourself or, or go hit these crazy numbers to be recognized. And I think a lot of people go through that, you know, just with Instagram, especially. Mm. And I 100% agree. I was going to, I was actually going to mention that. Um, Cause some, you know, for example, the other day I had a, I had a pretty shitty session at the gym and then I had two boys come in and train with me. They actually might be listening. And one of them answered the phone he's like, Oh, Hey, I'm just with Liam and my coach. And it was just the first time that someone had referred to me face to face, like as their coach to like a third person. Like I've obviously had people joke about like, like I've had a lifter joke that I'm his coach. Like I am, but like they kind of joke around or whatever. And it's just Mm. a joke, just a laugh. But to to have that refer, you know, have that referral in like a third person, I was like, oh, like, and I didn't even say anything about it. I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's sick. And, um, I've been coaching for a while, but like, it was just, it was just a really nice moment. So I agree. Like, you know, there's, there's much more fulfilling, uh, aspects of powerlifting than being, I mean, I can't say, cause I haven't won. I'm not the top of the weight class, but there's, yeah, like you said, there's plenty of other things that you can do and, and other ways that you can, uh, fill that, whatever it is you need to fill within powerlifting. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Mm. So in terms of, um, like you said, you said before you competed. Uh, we spoke about that, right? Did we talk after your competition or before? Or before. Before. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you competed. When was the last time you competed? November. November. Okay. So how did that go? It didn't go bad. Um, I hit the numbers that I wanted on squat and bench, but um, deadlift didn't go as I wanted. But I mean, that's a meet, you know? Um, mm. I wasn't like all too uh, upset about it because I put like a lot of pressure on myself. You know, I think I was in like a special circumstance coming into that meet. Um, and so um, I honestly was just like happy to just get it over with because um, I just wanted to like keep training and not necessarily worry about like with the numbers I was hitting in the immediate moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great like, and like you said, it was your first meet. So the total, what'd you total like 800 and something? Uh, 820. Yeah. 820, so the total 820 your first meet. Like these are pretty good. Like if you're listening and you're like, I wonder if I could be the best. Like ask yourself, where's your total at now compared to, you know, other people like Alan totaling 820 first meet, pretty good sign, right? And I would use that as a pretty good predictor of your potential. Um, have you got a meet planned for this year? Yeah. So I'm doing, 
USAPL Raw Nationals in uh, June. So that's like two months away pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you're about eight weeks out. So you're about to start prep or you have started prep? It's first week of prep. Yeah. First week. Awesome. So actually we'll be competing almost at the exact same time. We prep it yeah. at the same time, which should be fun. Um, obviously now you're under Liam Hoey. So what is, um, talk me through uh, signing up with Liam and talk me through the change in training and, and what you guys uh, thought was the best approach um, and the best things to change coming into this year. Yeah, so I think that I just wanted a little bit of collaboration in my mm-hmm. coaching. Um, and so like first couple blocks with Liam, like I kind of let him take the reins a bit and we found a lot of success but we also like ran into some issues and um, you know, I think after each block, like the just development of trust and understanding that like, I'm not going to do something completely stupid. um, Yeah. Has uh, definitely gotten better. And like, I think like two blocks ago, like I just told him um, like, would you be okay with me programming um, all my accessories for myself? And he said, yeah, you can do it. And I think like any other coach like would have had trouble with that. But uh, I just think I'm this special circumstance where, one like in this scenario like i take my accessories very seriously um and i have a very uh like pretty severe um history with injury and so i just think it's impossible for another person to like know all you know a million factors that go into accessory programming for an mm-hmm. individual so i just think like we have a perfect balance um you know i don't need like mounds of technique fixing um so yeah I, i'm really enjoying mm. And so when you talk about, because um, that's an interesting one, that someone else can't possibly know the little ins and outs of injuries in regard to accessories, because obviously with SBD, you can use technique that works around the limitations that you have. When it comes to accessories, there are just some accessories that we can't do. Like I cannot do a block of dumbbell overhead press because I have a bit of a an iffy shoulder that flares up uh, and basically the the way that I fix it is we just warm up my serratus and the issue goes away. But for example, I can't do dumbbell overhead press, but I can do a seated neutral grip machine overhead press if I have my feet up and I'm, you know, bracing, right? So yeah. is that the kind of thing that you're referring to where like these little, like you could probably tell Liam about it and it, to walk him through it, but it's really not worth his time or your time to go through all that little, basically. Absolutely. Th- yeah. I think that just in general, like, if you take an intermediate lifter and, you know, give them a host of basic accessories, right? Like maybe like eight to 12 sets of back, eight to 12 sets of pecs, a couple sets of triceps and biceps, like they'll be fine. But as that lifter gets more advanced, you start to see um, like really where they will shine in terms of, okay, do they really need to be doing extra leg accessories? Um, do they really need to be doing extra pec accessories? Um, and I just think I'm, I kind of came to that point really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like for example, like I had like a tricep issue for a really long time and um, like I was doing like multiple sets of tricep exercises a week and I would just like get hurt like by the third week of every single block. And so I told him, I'm like, like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, so when I like kind of started programming um, accessories for myself, like he would just take a look at them, give me the okay. And you know, I've been fine since. And I think that's a perfect example of having a great relationship with the coach and, and having that developed trust where, both people are on the same page as, as far as responsibilities go. Mm-hmm. And are you um, 
I already know the answer to this question. Are you like pretty vigilant with the way you fill in your sheet and 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 oh, track your? Oh, Declan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Declan. I I literally I have tracked every single set of every exercise I've done for like the last two years. Do you have them so, still? Yeah. Like, do you have a? Do you have like a? In your notes, is that where you do it? I just have like previous sheets. And then, or everything is filled out. That's incredible. Because I have some lifters. Um, do the exact same thing where they track every weight and the RPE of each set of accessories. I think and it's extra. It's extra. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So I, and because this is something that I experimented with, because I know we had a conversation a few months back when I was cutting and I felt like I wasn't doing well enough. I felt like I wasn't training smart enough, which is something that I want to go over later. But basically, I started tracking uh, the weight of each set. So, for example, when I started doing my single arm lap pull downs, which we'll talk about later, um, I would track every every set, and 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 then next week I'd come in and either add a rep or add a add a plate in the machine, and it was so uh, so beneficial because this is some it was an exercise that I'd never done before, and I literally saw the progress like insanely fast in my lat development, especially from the front, just from tracking. And I've slacked off a little bit now with tracking. I have a pretty general idea of like, this is what I did last week. I'll try to beat it this week. I think if you're um, someone who needs accountability, which again, I don't think you do, but I think if you're someone who needs accountability, this is like a really good way to progress is tracking because, you, you know, let's say you're feeling pretty shitty one day. Um, you're not going to do the same numbers same SB, uh, accessory numbers as last week. And then the next week you just haven't, you have another bad day the next week. And all of a sudden this progressive overload that you everyone's talking about, it just doesn't happen because you have one bad day. And then the next week is like, Oh, you know, not as motivated. And so all of a sudden, like you've gone a whole block and you haven't, you haven't even gone up from like 10 kilo lateral raises. So it's like, if you have a record either because you want to be really, really specific, or if you want to be uh, like loading every single week, um, I think I was super useful for me. Obviously, like you said, you've done it for two years and, and, you know, we can't attribute that to all of your progress, but it would certainly be a big, play a big role. Cause what are you? 110, 110 at like what? Five, eight. Yeah. It's like just an insane amount of muscle mass. And, and I'm sure you, would you put that down to, you know, being so vigilant with the way that you approach accessories? I think to an extent, I don't necessarily think that like, every lifter has to write them down, you know, but like, for example, like at my gym, like, like when Liam, when I train with Liam, like he looks at my accessory and he's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, um, like, it looks really weird. Like a lot of the accessories I do are weird. Um, but I'm just like, like, this is what I like to do. You know, I like mm -hmm. to experiment with different things. Um, and I, I've seen results with it. Um, and so I think that, you know, if you look at, um, a lifter's sheet, and they're not filling that stuff out like maybe just have a conversation with them like are you doing everything you can to get better and if you're not like then don't complain about it mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. sorry i just my video cut out for whatever reason um yeah 100 percent. and i think some people need that like motivation because if there's no numbers it's hard to get motivated like i know for a fact when i come in for like my boring third bench day just ignore that um it gets really hard to you know get hyped so if you have these accessories where you're just going in and, you know, there's no numbers at all, like maybe you need a little bit of, oh, I'm going to try to beat last week. 
like the little bit of motivation to actually push your accessories harder. Um, and I think tracking, like you said, can be really good. I, um, I think we, we skipped over a question. I think, um, I want to know what different approaches, like what did you, cause obviously having a, a history of injuries when you, when you signed up with chop, like what was some of the things you're like, okay, let's do this differently. So there were a lot of things like coming from the past that I was like, okay, like this worked. Like for example, um, on deadlift, only doing sumo once a week, we kept that on squat. Like squat is the lift where I've just seen like the, the least amount of progress. Um, and so I think these last couple blocks, what we really changed is we took away all leg accessories or all quad accessories that like are really fatiguing, like leg press and hack squat. And we've seen a lot of results from that, but honestly, like we didn't change a lot. Um, we kind of just, you know, did like basic programming with like really complicated accessories, but it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically just changing up and, and different stimulus kind of with your accessories. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what's apologies about my video. I got no idea what's going it? on here. Um, yeah, so basically just in a change and, and there wasn't much change to the the, the way you approached um, SPD? Not to a significant degree. I, I knew that like I could push bench, like I knew like my, the ability for me to push bench was definitely there, but I just hadn't done it in the past. Like, like he looked at my programming and he was like, like, why are you doing like, like sets of five with like, like 130 kilos, like you bench mm-hmm. like mid fours. Um, and I think once we like built up the capacity to do like the volume that i'm doing now like right now i'm doing like week one like sets of seven with like 160 um on a secondary day and it's like like super easy so i think that just like i knew that was going to be the case and once we had figured that out um it was like smooth sailing 100 mm, uh okay yeah cool cool and, and yeah i um you're obviously one of those lifters that you can handle because even your secondary days um are like relatively heavy like i would say they're relatively heavy i'm because i'm comparing them to myself where like my primary day might be like a single like in the 170s or whatever and my secondary day is like in the 140s for like triples but they feel really heavy but whereas when i see your training and obviously you bench more than me but when i see your training your bench is um your secondary is like quite heavy yeah and that's actually that is one thing that liam does a little bit differently it's like when I first looked at the sheet, I'm like, like, holy shit, I'm going heavy on bench like three times a week. And that was something that I was worried about. But after the first couple of blocks, like I can take like 170 plus and mm-hmm. be like three times a week and be totally fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and do you think that that is uh, something that you'll have to muck around with in the peak? Because I know for a fact that uh, in my peaks, my secondary starts to get even a little too strong. Like it starts to feel too good. And then basically have this dilemma of swapping um, back to your primary day when it matters in the peak for a meet. So do you think that that's something that you'll have to uh, be really vigilant with? Yeah. So we actually had this conversation, me and Liam, yesterday, mm-hmm. um, where we decided to like really tone down the the third day of bench because like even though I can like do like really heavy bench three days a week. Like my primary day just wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's maybe potentially taking away from that, that primary day, but it, yeah. it's moving well right now. Yeah. I mean, bench bench like has been consistently like improving. So that's like, 
that's really good because before like in the past like my bench like before i think like uh last month like my last bench pr was literally in october of 2020 okay so it's been a really long time but you just recently hit 205 or 202 i think it was or five yeah 205 and and your lifts are here's one thing about your lifting is all of your lifts are really fast like you are obviously one of those lifters where the speed doesn't match the rpe and obviously yeah. like rpe is subjective but like if if someone was to rate your lifts you'd be like oh it's rpe eight and you're like no it was like rpe nine and a half yeah so is that something uh in the relationship with with uh chop that is kind of you know something different for him because i mean it's it's it doesn't happen with very many lifters um at first like yeah he was like you know your rpe ratings are inaccurate and i kept telling him like no they're really accurate um and then like we had a block where like um like all my deadlift singles were moving super fast and then like the last single of the block like i failed it and i i, I could tell like he was surprised and i was honestly surprised but um like i just knew i just know like depending on how i feel like that is way more important to me than bar speed because a majority of the time it's going to look fast mm-hmm. yeah so you um when you're doing it does it feel fast like does it feel how it looks no um, there are a lot of times, like, I just, like, when I feel like shit, like, I just feel like my joints, um, if that makes sense, like, it'll still, like, move, like, pretty fast, but barring, like, I'm doing, like, RP10, like, if it, if I feel, like, off, it's usually just because, like, I'm feeling, like, fatigued. Okay. So, those, you know, for example, like, your, um, but surely, like, your, your, uh, deadlift I saw recently, it was, like, 300, I think it was, like, 300 or 305, like, the most recent, maybe, deload single yeah. that you did. Yeah. That was like obviously incredibly fast. Does do those ones feel fast? Like when they are like, lower, like that, like felt honestly like off the ground. Like it felt pretty slow. But that, like I, like at this point, like since I've like just watched, um, like my training like videos like a lot. Like I knew it would still look fast on video, but it's more so like I think like especially like as, as you get more advanced, like just having like an internal understanding of how lifts are feeling on a day, um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily. Like, like you should in my opinion like looking at the video looking back at the video like can be important but as you get more advanced like you probably don't even need it Mm -hmm. so are you someone that records their warm-ups and watches them back as you're going no i I just i literally just record uh last warm-up and and top set usually okay yeah cool And, and i think like um yeah you like you said you're probably at a level where you don't necessarily need to like watch your warm ups and that sort of thing i i'm much the same i record maybe the last two warm ups and and that's with sumo so i yeah. guess that's with a lift that i'm still trying to learn so you're pretty yeah, definitely you know you've been doing sumo for a long time low bar swing for a long time so it's like you're pretty in tune with like you know how things are supposed to move and how they do move so you maybe not need it but i think this is something that i encouraged a while ago on the podcast was to recruit record all of your warm-ups if you're new to a lift or if you're new to mm-hmm. lifting in general record them all from the same angle watch how they change the way it, move, it moves show a coach or show someone that's uh, more experienced than you be like why is this thing changing you know how do i fix that it, it, you know is it bad is it good whatever um because i think like if you only record your top set you have no idea what went wrong like really if you only see your top sets back how do you know what's changing how do you know the speed difference like like there's so many things that you'll miss out if you don't record your last couple of warm-ups and i, I think that's that's something that i've 
has helped me massively with sumo because we see like the last warm up is you know m- might be like uh, five plates or whatever or four plate like four reds and 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 that's relatively easy and then you get to the top set and you kind of psych yourself out or whatever and it's different and I compare the two and I'm like oh hey this is this is how we wedged here and blah 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 so I think you're definitely missing out on uh, basically like self-regulating feedback if yeah. you're not recording you know it's just another way of tracking you know you wouldn't like you wouldn't like not send your coach a video like you're not going to ask your coach for technique advice and then not send I'll him a video so it's like how do you like because how is he ever going to know so how are you ever going to know what you did differently if you didn't see uh, and sometimes yeah, you can feel sometimes like i'll do a top set and i'm like oh i didn't like wet like wedge strong enough and so like you kind of know but you really need a visual, a visual confirmation of that sort of thing. Um, if we're talking about training smart, I just had a thought come to mind. Obviously, in the last, well, since we spoke, I have been massively exposed to N one education, and yeah. I think a lot of people have. I think we've seen, and they even said themselves over the last couple of years, the Iliac row specifically got super super popular from them. Um, I'm a big fan of N one. I have pretty strong opinions for and against some of the stuff that they do and we'll talk about why. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on them in general and then how, because I know both of us use N1. Um, I'm of the opinion that uh, it's a really, really good tool, but it's pretty specific when it comes to when like it's basically like really good tool but there's a time and a place yeah for that sort of thing. um I, I agree um i think that n1 honestly offers like the most comprehensive um explanation of like accessory programming so i don't know if you're familiar with like uh mike israel um, yep. and like full rom like i i used to like subscribe to that idea a lot um and i think that n1 is definitely a step above that because I think N1 takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. You know, their their main selling point is that they're like biomechanically based or biomechanical um, in their accessory programming. Whereas like, you know, full ROM or Mike, Mike Israel's training was always about just like, you know, choose exercises where you feel your lats or your quads or whatnot and do them with a long range of motion. But in all honesty, like I'm a, 90% of lifters probably don't know what feeling their lats even means. You know, mm-hmm. like they'll do like a wide grip lat pull down and they'll say they feel their lats when in reality that's their mid back. And so I think N1 is for people that want to get into it, it's absolutely the best resource for accessory programming, especially like accessory selection. Um, but that being said, for powerlifters, like for the few people that I coach, like there is like some, you know, biomechanical optimal shit sprinkled in there, but a majority of it is like basic stuff. Mm-hmm. like machine overhead press you know neutral grip dumbbell press you know if mm-hmm. someone does want my opinion on like what accessory is better i'll give it to them but otherwise like i i just think like for most people it's it's a turn off mm. i understand and i think and i'm the exact same like coach bunch of lifters too and you know i've only just started giving the single arm lap pull downs because i you know um recorded a video on like how to do them and that sort of thing and that's because i did them for six months and i was like this is a really really good exercise and for example yeah. You guys listening probably seen me do the single arm lat pull downs too. I think it's a really good exercise for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I've had significant lat growth with it, but also uh, it's help. It helps 
because if you get if you do it properly, you have this. Um, it forces you to train within your active range of motion. It doesn't force you to, but you have to you have to protract forward. You have to get up to the top uh, of your range of motion, and it it basically it forces you to think about like where you are in space. So that proprioception thing, and a lot of lifters don't have that. And and you know I've recorded a lot of sets to like see what I'm doing wrong, but I think it's been it's a really good tool to teach um, shoulders down. So that scapular depression, which is something that we we use in uh, in the bench quite a bit, and I've I've used it to teach because you have to hold your shoulders down. So I think like they have some of these exercises, while they might be very very specific in nature, they can have quite a significant carryover if you are at a slightly lower level. So like beginner, intermediate. Like if 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 a lifter has a, a you know a really hard time holding their shoulders down in a bench press. Let's go. Okay, let's go do a lap pull down, single arm lap pull down. I'm going to get you to drive your elbow to the ground the whole time. Keep your shoulder down. Don't let it come up at the top. So we have like, while it might be, it might not be the best exercise for like overloading and etc. They do have these like small advantages that you can you can actually see a direct carryover to other lifts. And I'm sure there's other tools for that too. But I think if your accessories can tick a few boxes. Like, bi- they take the biomechanics box. Obviously, those guys are huge biomechanics nerds and they know um, basically how the body works. Tick that box. Obviously, works for hypertrophy. Tick that box. Like, or, you know, and then you might get a third thing, which is like, um, you know, teaching a lifter how to hold their scaps down in the while they're benching. Like, y- it has some of the exercises I've noticed have like a legitimate direct carryover to technique-wise, uh, technique stuff in SBD. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think, I think that... God. No, you go. I was going to say that, like, I actually never thought of it like that. I think that's a good point. Um, I just think, like, if you give a lifter who, like, you know, you, you can tell some lifters, like, they just, like, they'll do accessories, but, like, they're not, like, super into it. Like, if you give them, like, iliac lat pull-down or, like, thoracic lat, lat row, um, like, they're just going to look at it and be like, you know, this is extra time that I have to take to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just not going to do it. And I think in, in what you're discussing, this is, it's a good point, especially if you're coaching someone in person, but especially like for these more nuanced exercises, like execution is really important. And a majority, majority of these people will just not put in the time to learn the execution in the first place. hundred percent. And that's literally like I, it is like my favorite exercise right now is doing any sort oh. of, cause we've got the prime handles at my gym. Um, so any sort of rowing, is like super super easy you don't have to grip really it like it just sits in your hand so like i've been loving it and i've only just given it to a couple of my lifters and one of them that i can help do in person because it's like like you just said there's positives and negatives to these really nuanced like exercises and you know it, it my thought process is this if i give a lifter a single arm lap pull down and i don't have like hundred percent certainty that they're going to execute it properly. They are literally wasting their time. Like they would be way better off doing if I just write machine row in their, in their program. So it's like, you know, obviously the relationship with your lifters comes into, into play, but for most people listening, I mean, most people listening aren't coaches. So you gotta, you gotta think like, can you do these exercises properly? Is it worth your time? Uh, Are you still enjoying training? I've been enjoying training way more since I've been really thinking. I think that's a big plus. Mm. 
and I and I've been thinking about my accessories more, and I've been enjoying a lot more. Obviously, the muscle like I've seen, like like not a significant obviously because I've been training for a few years, but I've seen a noticeable difference in my physique, uh, in the way it, like in the quality of the pump, etc. Since kind of paying attention to this sort of thing, so I mean I always encourage lifters who I think will do really well with it to do it. Uh, lifters that I trust in their uh, attention to detail and like. And that sort of thing, because you know, if you like, I, like I said, I'll say it again. Like, if if you're not doing this properly, you are just like literally wasting your time. Yeah. These these exercises are so specific that you cannot half-ass it. So you either don't do them at all, really, or you give it a hundred percent. And I think that's where some people have an issue with N one, and and some people do have an issue with N one, and that I've seen, and I won't name names, but other like relatively prominent figures, and it's like. I think some people have an issue with like other people knowing training. Like I think, I think I see people make fun of pages like N1 because they are like making fun of someone who really knows what they're talking about just because like they can't comprehend that level of anatomy or biomechanics. And I'm not saying that I can like some of the, a lot of the stuff he says, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I'm not saying that that's me, but there's obviously like the, a lot of people don't, you know, like authority and, and that sort of stuff. So I think if you have an issue with N1, you probably have an issue with Kasim or the idea yeah, that like, Giannis. Or <laughs> 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 but Ben is obviously a massive N1. I know Ben went, oh, to, yeah. the, ben went to the N1 thing and he N1 got his university. Degree. He has his yeah. degree from N1. Yeah. He got, he's got his blue shirt now as well. So, um, <laughs> I uh, I think we have pages like N1 that are super, super useful. And yes, it's very scientific. Yes, it's very difficult to understand if you don't have a, you know, if you're not tapped in with that sort of thing. But yeah, I think the biggest takeaway message with them is eat, do it and do give it 100% or don't do it at all. Yeah. And like, if you look at like top powerlifters, right? Like, like, bro, like, None of them know what N one is. So is N is knowing like is doing the most biomechanically optimal exercises um, going to make or break you as a powerlifter? Absolutely not. But again, I think this comes down to the same point that I made earlier. Like, is that you can tell like who wants to hit RP ten singles every week and that's all they care about, and who like actually enjoys training. And mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I might be wrong, but I just think like in the future, um, like you'll be able to tell that distinction. You know, that's a that's, that's just a guess, but. I, I, you know, like, like that's the whole point of training. Like if you put in the work, like you're expecting a result. So if you're putting in the time and effort into, you know, optimal accessories and, and shit that like, actually like you research, you know, like you're just going to hope for a result. Mm. And like, that's, it's funny. That you, yeah. Like you just said, like a lot of the top palaces don't know what M1 is. It's a hundred percent. Right. Uh, it's like, it's it's absolutely not going to make or break your training, yeah. um, but I think I mean I, I'm guessing that it's an education thing for bodybuilders, right? I assume that where you'd see the most benefit is like the top of the line bodybuilders, where stimulus and new stimulus is such a hard thing to come across. Like I think then it will become very very useful, um, because like you said. Yeah. 
And I think you've said to me privately, if we're talking about like specifically that lat pull down thing, you said, you know, it's not going to give you a big back, but it might be a good exercise for you. And that's a hundred percent right. Like doing something very, very specific, very like, you know, the, the load potential is very low, like a single arm lat pull down. Like it's not going to give you a big back, but if you have like a lagging area, if you, you know, uh, you find it really hard to like train your rear delts or you have fun hard to like train your lateral delts like these exercises can be very useful to because some lifters need sensation so like yeah. they need that that feedback that direct feedback like immediately so i think if if you're one of those people where you, you have like a, a muscle group that's lagging or you have like a certain injury you have to work around or you find it really hard to train one muscle like these can be very useful tools but on the other side if you're on top of it you might not need it at all yeah, and I think that like just in general, like you know, every everything that you can learn that adds you know to to how you can help people or help yourself is is a plus. So like I've used like N one and like their explanation of like for example like chest exercises in like understanding powerlifting technique. Like for example, like you know we've had this conversation before about like people saying like a wide grip bench press is trash, and but if you really <laughs> understand that like you know, your pecs, you know, use your rib cage, you know, to move, like you would understand where that point comes from. And you can use that to help people understand why, okay, why am, why are my elbows flaring? You know, like, why am I diverting a lot of the mm-hmm. tension to my shoulders? You know, it's probably because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not using your pecs as much in a wider bench press. But I think like, if you can use it to help you, then, you know, it's, it's good. Is it, and it's a hundred percent like the, it's funny I do see the logic behind the, yeah, like you said, um, and it's the same way that people will say, oh, like uh, lat pull down, like a traditional straight part lat pull down is bad for your lats. Well, not bad for your lats, but it's very suboptimal because like you said, the same way the lats move, the, the lats move around the rib cage as well. So you need like, I'm not going to go into like the details of it, but uh, you know, people say, oh, a single, you know, a traditional lat pull down is not good. And then, you have the exact same logic go into or like a wide grip bench press is not good for your pecs. And I think that statement on its own, cause you know, we know who said this, like, I think that statement on its own, it makes sense like anatomically, but in application, I don't think it makes sense because you might have, you know, someone like me or someone, you know, big wingspan, like let's tell, let's tell Kilo Peter that he can't <laughs> bench bench wide when he's got like a 197 wingspan like good luck getting him benching more in close just because it leverages the pecs a little bit better on the rib cage so i think yeah, in I'm application good. like in anatomically if these things do make sense and this is if these things make sense because again the statement Some that them don't yeah yeah the statement that like wide grip pressing is bad it's not it's not a fact it's an opinion based on the way they've interpreted some anatomical and biomechanical things. So it's not like a fact. So like you have to think these people are just saying what they believe the same as anyone else. And I think, um, you know, if you see like, like I'm not bent, I'm not bringing my grip in just cause someone told me that it's wide gripping is bad. Like, are you yeah, six foot yeah. three? Uh, <laughs> are you like, and you know, and f- compared to you, like 110 kilos of like, just like muscle, basically it's like these, these things in application don't, uh, you know, don't, don't take into consideration all the factors and like, oh, like arching. Like you tell like, um, who's got, like, you know, Thien? Pro Thien yeah. Shake on Instagram. Like tell him to bring his yeah. grip in and see what happens to his bench. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's just these things, they don't necessarily make sense in the context of powerlifting. I'll put it, th- say this though, if I was going to get into bodybuilding, 
I wouldn't bench press at all. And if I did, I wouldn't do wide grip. So, yeah. So it's like, it's saying that wide grip pressing is bad for the pecs. Well, you got to look, okay, it doesn't make sense for powerlifting because we know that wide grip pressing is good. Literally one of his besties is a, a, um, you know, wide grip presser with a massive arch, Sean. And, you know, so like, obviously we see that wide gripping works. And then you go, okay, what about in the context of like hypertrophy? And we go, okay, well, if we look at hypertrophy, we're not going to do flat barbell bench press anyway. So where do these statements, you know, like they are just that, they are just statements. Like where do they even become applicable? I don't know. That was my issue with that that post directly. <laughs> uh, one of my friends, Tomas, I think you know Tomas. I do know he Tomas. Always, he always makes fun of me for the uh, optimal exercises because he's like, Alan, <laughs> like, like, 90% of your like pec volume is with competition bench press, you know, like, so I understand where he's coming from. Like what got me here is not doing these optimal exercises. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing them now, but it's like, if you look at someone who benches 455, you know, 500 or even like, like you or like 405 or like 420, um, like they have big packs because they're benching a lot. Um, not because they're doing, single arm dumbbell neutral grip bench press with 76 degrees of flexion. Mm-hmm. 100%. And like, I'll say this, like I've said this to a bunch of people, my bench press goes up directly correlated with my dumbbell press. If you are not heavy dumbbell pressing, you're missing out. Like if I'm going to go, if someone goes, Oh, you know, how can I get my bench press up? Obviously it's a loaded question, but my first response is always like, you know, like what do your accessories look like? Are you doing like heavy dumbbell press? Like just do your heavy dumbbell press. You could literally get away with that cable flies and you'd probably be sweet, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're like a, someone who's got a shit ton of muscle mass and is having a really t- hard time putting on more, which most people aren't, <coughs> pardon me. Most people aren't. Um, so, you know, this optimal versus, you know, and I thought suboptimal. Yeah. So it's like, and Thomas, like specifically, he's made jokes to me and I thought he was, I, I didn't realize that he was actually making fun. Like, I know he's a nice kid. Yeah. I, I talked to him. Yeah. But um, he... I, okay, so he's like on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, why are you doing that? I didn't realize that he was actually taking the piss. I thought he was being ironic when he was joking. I think... Well, he, he does do a lot of the... Some of the exercises that I recommended for him, but mm-hmm. he makes a great point, as I mentioned. Like, um, you know, guys that are strong are typically jacked. You no know, correlation doesn't, you know mean causation but you know there's pretty strong evidence mm-hmm. and you know even talking about him specifically and sorry if you're listening and you don't know who thomas is but like people be like oh no don't bench with your wrist cock back it's like <laughs> yeah it's like oh yeah we're gonna keep that before yeah, yeah it's like i've before. i've said it too i've said keep the joints stacked like and i say that like um yeah your, your, your wrists should be like over your elbow sure like in terms it of works from for, the yeah, it works for him. So. But like, it doesn't mean your fingers have to be over your elbow as well. So, you know, someone like him will have his wrist cocked back super, super hard. And I'm not saying it's the most optimal thing for anyone, but like these like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. Well, it's very, very like, very subjective and very individualized. And like, you can't just make statements anymore. You can't be like, oh, single arm light pull down is the best thing for light development. Like, if you don't do this, you won't get this or don't do this or this. And I think people fall into the trap of like, they'll see, oh, like, don't like, you know, why grip pressing is bad for bench. And then they bring their grip in. It's like, no, like, you've just seen one post. Like, yeah, 
<laughs> you got to take into consideration, like ask people that you respect, ask your coach, like do your own research, come up with your own opinions. I think that's such a massive thing. It's like, have your own opinions. Like, and some people, some people shouldn't be allowed. To <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you got to fact check these things. Yeah, I agree. Um, we might jump into a couple, uh, a couple hot takes here. We have a new segment, oh, yeah. a new segment on the on the on the podcast. Now we're getting back into podcasting. Is I've had a long time, long time off. I've got guests that I want to have on. Uh, we'll do like general discussion, and at the end, we're going to do hot takes. So hot takes for today. We have your first hot take. We have, and I'm not even going to give an opinion. I'm not going to give you context on these opinions. I'm just going to say them. Equipped powerlifting. Oh man, um, I think that equipped powerlifting is pretty dumb because <laughs> that's it, uh, it. Just full stop. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But I think, like, just in general, like I've talked about this with a couple of people. Like, in order for powerlifting become to become more popular, it has to be more unified. And I think equipped lifting detracts from that. There are also like a lot of other things that detract from that, like multiple federations. But I also understand like equipped lifting like makes a lot of money for USAPL specifically. So, um, I didn't know USAPL I, had an equipped division. Oh yeah. Like the, not like 60% of collegiate nationals is like equipped people. Um, so it, it makes a lot of money. It also makes a lot of money at local meets, like high school meets, like pretty much like 75% of those people are competing in equipped. So it's not as simple. It's not as simple as just get rid of equipped lifting because you would be, uh, destroying the federation in the process um, without having some sort of um, relief from that in some way to to give back money. Huh, that's interesting. I did not know that that was the way it worked because in Australia we have we have our IPF affiliate. Uh, we have a second because obviously we have the APU, which is uh, we had like two. We had the uh, APU and PA, which were two IPF affiliates. Now we have the USAPL coming. And I, I'll, I'd love to talk about that at the end. We have your federation coming here to us. Um, but in my fed, we are basically, I think, like your version of... The, we are the IPL. So is USPA IPL? Yeah. Yeah, so we are USPA, basically, my fed APL. So you can put on wraps um, and you can compete in... I think there's like a bench-only division you can put a shirt on or whatever. It's like we have a little tiny bit of equipped sprinkled in I kind of agree with you. Uh, I like, for example, we have a guy at my gym who benches four twenty five in a shirt. So I've seen him. Yeah, I've so seen Coop. That. Yeah, so it's like that's insane, and that's I love watching that. Like I have all the respect. Like he presses three ten raw. So to see him, I've seen him jump three hundred. No, I've seen him jump two seventy raw. Put a shirt on three twenty five, three seventy four hundred. I've seen him do that. I had to spot it. So that is just like insane, like bigger jumps than people take deadlifting, like just incredible. And he's the nicest guy. And so like, I have a lot of respect for the, but then you have the other side of equipped where it's like someone benching like three plates in a show. Oh, and, and that's majority of equipped lifting, especially in America is like, like when I went to like this uh, meet to handle some of my friends, like, like the, the kids there are like competing equipped and like they have like no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's like a majority of it. And so it, in my opinion, it, it takes away from the sport and it, especially in the past, it has already created this image for the sport that is just like, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just like dirty. 
and just mm-hmm. like unprofessional. Mm. Yeah, I um I agree. I think the biggest obviously you can't get rid of it, but I think the biggest thing is just going to be yeah, it's spread out over too many federations and like this is why when the we found out the USAPL was coming to Australia, we're like, "Oh my god, like we don't need another federation. We have an IPF affiliate. We have an IPL affiliate. Like we're literally hosting IPL Worlds. Australia is hosting Worlds this year. So it's like we have a big enough base. Worlds is like 20 minutes from my house this year. So it's like, why are we getting another IPF affiliate? I don't know. Um, we already have a federation that's like, so yeah, there's like, it, it again, and I agree, like it's just spreading people out kind of thing. And I mean, I guess it's fun. Like I would put on a, sl- like I'd probably put on a, a slingshot. Like eh, that's what I'm saying. Like I wouldn't even put on a bench shirt because I was going to say like I'd put on a slingshot, but slingshot's not, that's not equipped lifting. Yeah, I'd never true. put a bench shirt on. I would put on a slingshot to just try it once and have fun. I'm sure that is fun. Right, once and that's it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's cool that it exists, but like, I don't, I mean, I obviously respect it and it's a different type of, it's basically a different sport though. Yeah. It's not even the uh, same. Yeah. None of the, none of the cues, none of the technical things, like nothing is the same. Yeah. I, I think it just at this point, it, it really is not benefiting mm-hmm. um, the image that powerlifting should be uh, conveying. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Next one we have, and this one was inspired by Sin Powerlifting. They didn't give this oh, to yeah. me. I just happened to see one of their posts. What are your thoughts on people who love to uh, talk the talk, but they never, ever walk the walk? What do you think about that? This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in today's day and age, like you don't even need people to walk the walk because you already know how it's going to turn out. Like, for example, the one kid who only pulls with uh, straps and uh, bumper plates. Okay, I see where you're going. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> everyone already knows that he would not pull anywhere close to me. Like, there's no, like, I'm in my opinion, he would pull like 285. Like, nothing against the dude, but like, for example, like you look at um, Liam Newell who pulled uh, 352.5 at 19 years old. Like his first time in like a year on a deadlift bar and straps, like he pulls 855. Like. So is that 400? That's like, it's like 380. No, wait, it's it's more. Well, well, 345. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, So, like, at this point, like, you can already tell, like, who's going to, like, actually be good in powerlifting and and who's, like, not. Like, I, I actually used to be a lifter who, like, would pull on pound plates and whatnot. I still like use straps for 90% of my training, but you know, I pull my singles without straps. Um, and so like if a lifter like pulls a single with straps, like, like good for them. Like if it's impressive, it's impressive, but like, they're just not going to do it to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you're of the, okay. So I see where you're, you're coming from. It's, it's like, they can basically say all they want because we all know that they will never walk the walk because they can't. Is that, that basically the, yeah. And I think what can be wrong with that argument is like, the gen pop doesn't know that distinction. And so mm-hmm. they think like that kid that only pulls with straps and whatnot is like the best deadlifter on the planet. But like that is nowhere near the case. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that definitely is an issue, but um, especially like within powerlifting, like, like I'm just at the point where like, I just don't even care. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I love that opinion. I love that response. I think 
we give them too much credit, too much. People spend too much time thinking about it. I know in the past, I definitely spent too much time dwelling over stuff like that, but obviously that was for entertainment, but still like at, I'm at that, the point like, now. Mm. You work hard and someone who takes some arms and pulls <laughs> a couple of times a month, you know, you feel like they're taking away what you have worked so hard for. Um, I understand that. It's just mm. uh, like, it does not matter, you know? Mm. Okay, cool. Like, I agree. Yeah um yeah i think you're right on the money there that's perfect um all right this one is from patty shout out patty um you guys might know him as cuzzy from tiktok um he he gave me one he said ability prs don't exist basically nobody cares about your rep prs ability prs aren't real back down prs aren't real what's your take so i mean i think it's the the same uh premise as the question before um like i think for tracking purposes they're they're good you know and, and it's definitely nice to see like you know oh i hit this and i for this amount of reps and this amount of sets and i've never done that before at the same uh difficulty i think it's pretty cool to say that and i think that's what makes training fun um but at the end of the day like yeah no one cares like unless it's like i think people really only care about um what you're hitting in a meet or um something close to it like yeah, that's powerlifting, you know. Mm, cool. So um, you, I'm basically of the opinion that like when I see someone that's like, oh, and you like three rep max and it's like they put all the emojis around it and they fucking advertise it like it's an album and like all that stuff. It's like, yeah, cool. I'm happy for you that you're progressing. Like I love to see other people progressing. And, you know, for example, I have, I know a guy and I'll even be happy to say his name. He's probably listening. Dan. I saw his training a while ago. I was like, damn, Dan hasn't hit a PR in like a long time. Like, I wonder what's going on with his training. And then literally the next week he hit like, he outscored me. He hit like a 10 kilo squat PR. He benched, I don't know, 170 maybe. And then he hit like a massive deadlift PR of like oh, 300. Oh, is this uh, Quadzilla's client? Yeah, Dan Tansumo. Oh yeah, that, that could yeah. be very strong. Yeah, and like, it was, I was like, I wonder, because I just happened to notice like, oh, like, you know, he hasn't, I can't remember the last time he hit a PR and then all of a sudden, bam, next week. And I was like, sick, that's awesome to see. So I think like if it's in, you know, and obviously like I have a very select few lifters who I actually watch on the internet. And when I see them progressing, I'm like, cool. But I think if you're making out your PRs, like, n- like I, I respect like a triple PR, like you hit a new three rep max. I mean, it's a pretty good indicator of one rep max and it's like, that's awesome. But I, people posting up like five, six rep max. It's like, post it but don't, you know, it doesn't mean anything like i think people yeah. have this idea like for example i know for a fact like and this is a bit of like a i'm going off track here but let's say you do like a singles block you hit a new one rep max like you hit 180 right on bench press when you go back to volume the block after and you hit a quote-unquote new six rep max of like and i know i did this of like 155 touch and go it doesn't, and just because you didn't, you couldn't have done it six weeks earlier before you'd pressed 180. It doesn't mean since 180, you've already gotten stronger again and you're hitting new six rep max. It doesn't mean if you go back to single straight away after that, you're going to hit 182, 185. It just means you weren't doing sixes before. You've done this singles block. You've hit a PR. You've gone back to a new rep range and you are stronger than six months ago when you previously did that. I think people have this idea that like they come out of a singles block and they just happen to hit like higher rep PRs. They're like, oh, I've already gotten stronger again. It's like, no, you probably could have done it when you were doing the singles. You just didn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I do agree. you see what I'm saying? I, I agree, especially with that last point. Um, 
that you mentioned, like, you know, the, the novelties, novel stimulus, you know, it's the same argument, like, you know, if you do an exercise, exercise that you haven't done for a while, and you get really, really sore, that does not you know, mean it's the best exercise. Mm-hmm. But I just think fundamentally, um, you know, ability PRs are like just a coping mechanism to make you feel like you know, you're making progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Everyone an ability PR, that, that's fine. Yeah, and so I agree with you. Like I know for a fact, yesterday I hit, um, and I and I and I didn't put ability PR in the in the caption. I just put PR in brackets. But like, I hit uh, a single, and I hit the most I'd ever hit for three backdown sets. It's like my previous best backdown sets were like fifteen kilos lighter, and one less set. So I did fifteen kilos heavier in an extra set after a single, and I was like, oh, that, and you know, technically that is a quote unquote ability PR it's a massive, it's even just a normal PR, like it's a rep PR. And I know like it, it's a good tell of like progress, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean my single has gone up. It means I've gotten better at repping 220 as backdowns. So you've got to, it, it's, you got to, if you, unless you're like, like you, for example, I know you're very in tune with your training. I'm incredibly in touch with what things mean for my training so I'm 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 very confident to say that yeah these ability PRs on my backdowns it does mean that my singles have gone up because of where I am in training right now because of historically but if that doesn't necessarily mean that for you it, it like you got to know like does this mean my singles have gone up or does this mean I've just gotten better at reps and blah 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 I'm I know I can say that it it, it is a very good sign for me but for other people it might just mean like your backdown capacities have gone up a little tiny bit so I, I think yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, there's a couple of ways to look at it. I do, I'll have to disagree with you, Patty. I don't think they're stupid. Um, but like Alan, like you said, Alan, they are a coping mechanism. Um, and there's like, there's nothing example, wrong with that, you know? Yeah. Because at all, like, I'm coping at least three or three or four times a week at all given, any given time. I'm trying to calculate, you know, like this bench block has been really, really bad because I overshot <clears throat> in week one and week two. And I was like, the whole time I was coping, like, oh, like my back down set to like my secondary days moving like close to how I did in prep and like all this cope. And and then in week four, I had a really, really good session. So it all, it didn't mean anything. The three weeks of coping meant nothing because um, we saw like, you know, evidence of progress in week four. So I think they're good if, if you're a bit of a neurotic lifter to get you through to when you finally see some like evidential progress. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, just stop putting in, in your Instagram. Like we don't, we don't care. <laughs> um, Enough. nah, it's, um, it's like a, you know, I'm just being a dick about it, but yeah, I think, I think you've got to really know what it means for you for it to be useful. Um, all right. Last hot take. And this one is a massive conversation. So we won't go into the whole thing. Um, but RPE versus percentage, Alan, which one's better? <laughs> Oof. Oh, I mean, if you're asking, like, okay, if you had to do one, um, and only one RP would be better. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that like in my opinion, the answer is the mix of the two. You know, there are coaches that program only RPE and have a lot of success with it. Um, but in my opinion, like for you know beginner to intermediate lifters, when you program only with RPE, um, you're leaving a lot. Um, to guesswork. Um, and I think there was a distinction between intermediate and advanced lifters there. But I think like specifically for those intermediate lifters, like I coach like a couple of uh, semi-new lifters in training. And if I just gave them RPE, especially for back down work, 
um, I think that would be the wrong move. For advanced lifters, what I have noticed is like, you can use RPE um, as a means of like uncontrolled progression. So like, like for my training, for example, like um, I have on my tertiary day on bench, one top set that is RPE based, and then all the back downs are percentage based. And so that's a means of like controlling the load that I do on the day. Whereas on my secondary day, um, it's all RPE based. And, you know, even if there's a cap there, like, I'm just going to go over it. Like, so um, using RPE, I think for advanced lifters is a means of like, okay, let's have that day be a little bit more difficult because if you have a lifter, a majority of advanced lifters are going to take RPE and do a little bit more than they should. That's mm-hmm. just my experience. You know, it's very mm-hmm. rare that you find someone who like consistently undershoots on multiple sets. I'm not talking about like a top set, but like, like if you have three by six at six to seven, um, that last set for a majority of people is probably going to be like a weight that's like at seven and a half or eight. Mm-hmm. That's hundred percent. You're, you're a better podcaster than me. Cause I just would have said they're exactly the same. And that would be my whole answer. Um, you do make a very good point. There's like a billion other points you could go into as well. Um, I only put that there because I wanted to say on podcast that they are the exact same thing. RPE and percentage are the same thing. They have different pros and cons, but RPE is just another way of saying percentage and vice versa. Like RPE is the percentage of what you can do that day. RPE is yeah. just like your estimated one rep max. And then you just choose the weight yourself. Yeah, like I that. Mean, you're ex- yeah. I've seen some programs or like I've talked to Liam about programming where like, you hit like a RP based top set, right? And then it calculates your one rep max on the day. And mm-hmm. then your back downs are programmed based on that estimated one rep max on that day. So it's tailored to like the daily fatigue levels. I think that's a little bit overcomplicated, but um, like, you know, you can take it like very literally. Um, but as you said, like there, there are a lot of similarities. Mm. Uh, one way that I've been doing, uh, playing around with, because obviously I use a percentage in RP. Um, for different lifters, for different reasons on different days. But one thing I've been doing is giving like RPE either in the deload or in week one. For example, let's say we do like back downs, like, you know, uh, three sets of five at like RPE like seven in their first week. They put in the, they tell me what they use. Okay, we use 200 kilos. All right, cool. Next week, I put the weight in. So like they don't have the choice to use RPE the following week because all, because you know, you start a block with someone and let's, let's say they have a really, really successful block in the previous block and they've made all this progress and you can't rate accurately where they're at. Like you have no idea how they're going to yeah. feel in the deload. You have no idea how much better or worse they're going to be week one of the next block. So you have to just go, okay, do here's your RPE, hit these RPEs, tell me where you're at and then I'll... I'll cap that progression in the next three, four weeks or I'll take care of like how we're going to put the numbers up. So I think like, or you might have like, yeah, you might have someone who had like really, really bad life uh, circumstances in one block, like stress, school, blah, 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 whatever. They have a really, really shitty block. And then all of a sudden it all finishes week four. They have like a really, really good week. You know, they're on holidays, whatever. How do you... Like, because all the evidence from that past block is these three really bad weeks. How can you use just week four as a predictor of what a week one should look like? Like, you don't know where that lift is at. So I've been using it as a means of, okay, like, here's your RPE. You should feel like pretty shitty in the deload. You should feel relatively weak in week one. Here's your RPE. Just hit it. Then I'll take the reins from there. And like, obviously that's like a super, um, 
basic way of explaining it, but you know, there's a billion different reasons why one's better than the other. And, and, and the only reason I put it in is because people will like, Oh, RP is better or percentage is better. Like they're the same thing. Like they mean the same thing. They just yeah. presented and differently. I, yeah. And I think, um, to that point you made, um, I think one other scenario where doing RP in the first couple of weeks is good is like, if you have a lifter who tends to enter the overthink realm a lot, you, know, you take the first two weeks and you give them RP and you say, okay, let's check if the microcycle structure is working. And if all goes well, then in weeks three and four, you just give them programmed weight so they don't have to think, you know, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to hit for today? And I've, I've seen that work a lot for lifters that overthink. Mm-hmm. And another 100%, and I've been doing the exact same thing with one of my lifters. I give him RP for three weeks and then we have a look. And we go, okay, we know that we're going to take a big jump in week four. He's much the same as me, um, similar height, deadlifting a similar weight. We go, okay, you know you're going to take a big jump this week. You just will be able to. You always feel good in week four. I'll give you a set load for week four. I'll give you a range. So what I really enjoy doing this with, with this lifter is I give him RPE for three weeks and then I give him a range in week four. So that even if for whatever reason he is feeling bad, he's forced to... Um, you know, at least get into that range. And then in, in best case, he's having a really good day, which usually he does. Uh, I, I'm pretty like generous with the range that I give. So like, it's like the top end of what I think is possible for them. Yeah. Like they could still hit their absolute best, but even if they're having a bad day, I've still forced them to at least progress into the bottom of the range. So yeah, like, I mean, a- that's like, that's basic uh, psychology, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the anchoring effect. If you give someone a really high range above what you think they should hit, and they tend to overthink, they'll probably hit a little bit less than that, but it gives them the confidence to think that, okay, my coach thinks, you know, I can mm. hit it like this number, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't, when I, when I calculate those loads, I don't even look at the percentage. I don't do any math. I just go, okay, this is what you hit last week. This is what you hit. This is what like the trend was last block. This is how it jumped into week four last block. So this is what I think you can hit this week, or this is what we want you to hit. I don't even do, I don't even like look at my, I don't do I don't look at my calculator. I don't do any percentages. I just, and of course, any number you write down is a percentage. Like, yeah. so it, it is a percentage of something. So I think people would get the idea that when you use percentages, you have to be like doing math all the time. It's like, just cause I write a number down it's allocated as a percentage, but like I didn't do any, if I write, okay, deadlift two six, like 255 to 262, like I didn't do any math. I just said, this is what I want you to hit. And it, it's a number. So it's technically a percentage just because it's not an RPE. Like it, it, you don't have to sit on your phone and do math when you're programming. You just guess like it's. <laughs> when I'm like making a program initially for a person, um, then I'll like do some math. Like for example, like if you give someone for the first time you give them like SSB squat, you know, um, I'll give them a range that's typically based on like 87 to 90% of their, um, one rep max of comp squat, because that's typically where people who haven't done SSB before perform. Um, so that, so you, even that, as you said, is a guess, but. So you mean their one rep max would drop by like 12 to 15%. Is that what you're saying? On SSB. Yeah. And then you do Compared the percentage from that number. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So again, like that's another thing. It's like, how do you transition to a variation? So like someone like, you know, you might do it like that. You might go, okay, let's take the estimated one rep max down 15% and then I'll do 75% of that. Right. Again, variation, just give, you can also just give them an RPE. So that's where these different things are super handy. It's like, okay, I don't know how good you're going to be at uh, transformer bar squats. 
So yeah. I'll give you do go to RP seven like, and and that can be risky because how do they know what an RP seven feels like? Exactly. So that's bar. Is, is still a good uh, thing to put. Hundred percent. So it's like, but then what if what if there what if that you know if I'm gonna question you like what happens if you use that method that you did and the squatter is me where I absolutely could not do in my estimated yeah. environment max comes down by like 30, 40%. So like how, how do you do, you know, what if you, what if I massively overshoot in week one? Like, so there's, there's different, you know, they, like again, pros and cons of both. They're the same thing. They're just presented differently, presented differently to the coach, presented differently to the lifter. I just, I find it comical that people literally sit down all day and argue over the two of them when, you know, you just, yeah. just there's use no both. perfect method. Yeah. No, 100%, I've, just use I've, both. I've seen a lot of programs, you know, I've had programs from, I've seen programs. I've been, you know, part of the internship with uh, the strength athlete. Um, you know, I was coached by some of the best coaches and I've talked to some of the best coaches and, you know, there's no perfect method and people do things very differently and a lot of them get results. Mm. Yeah. hundred percent. So it's different for everyone and different methods that, you know, yeah. I just, yeah, I just find it funny that people, people will, um, get so wound up over just a personal bias. Like you got to recognize your biases. Like I'm biased towards four week blocks. I'm biased towards using both percentage and RPE based on the lifter. Like this, we all have our own personal biases and like people will often see a post that just is like confirmation bias. And, and they're like, Oh my God, I must be right because I saw someone else who agreed with me like that, that piece of evidence or that statement that they gave that lines up perfectly with my belief. So I must be right. It's like, not necessarily you gotta you know you gotta recognize your own biases so like i think you're wrong there i think that top singles every single day mm. has gotten all the athletes where they are now yeah no no you're absolutely right and i shouldn't have <laughs> even said that because those those elite level athletes would never have got to where they were if they weren't doing a single at eight every single yeah. week like it just wouldn't have happened because that's the best method and everyone currently, everyone who's currently not doing a one by one at eight every week is wrong. Like you're not training as cleverly as you. Um, I'm actually gonna re- actually now that you said that, I'm gonna hop off this podcast. I'm gonna rewrite all my programs, um, and I'll and I'll have some lifters going to Worlds next year. It's, yeah, it's like, bro, like it's come a, on, like don't be don't be ridiculous, man. Like six these six lifter who's never trained in his life and and you'll give him yeah. a single at eight and, and he'll be a world champion next year yeah 100 percent. it's like oh it's like some people are just it's comical like the things that people will believe um like question everything man you got to question everything like those lifters do that because they are at the top and they have very very high totals and they need practice because when you squat in the 300s when you do this like you need practice you will lose it very quickly doing a stiff bar single at 340 kilos and doing a deadlift bar on pound plates at 200 are not the same thing. You could do that any day of the week. These lifters could not walk into the gym and hit their max any day of the week, obviously. It's there for practice. It's there because it does well on Instagram. Like There are multiple reasons why these lifters do these things. And it's absolutely, yeah. Like I know, I know you were just joking. And if people listening think that I'm not joking, like... Like, it's, yeah, that's just because, yeah, and like you said before, correlation doesn't equal causation. It's like, come on, man. Like, don't be ridiculous. That's not how they got there. Um, yeah, that's funny, though. Um, all right, man. Well, 
we're officially at the end of the topic list. I think we covered so much good stuff today. Um, oh, if yeah. you've got like plenty of good stuff and we have so much, there's even stuff here that we didn't, we didn't cover. We didn't talk about James's performance at raw nationals. I'm sure he doesn't, <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't want us to talk about it. Um, James did well, man. He did well. Yeah. I think he did incredibly well. And, and, you know, I cut like a few kilos and I felt the difference. So to cut what he did, um, to a completely new weight class, like he did a fantastic job. And, uh, if you're not on team James, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing if you're not on Team James, but Alan, thank you very much for coming on. Um, yeah, like I said, we have so much stuff that we didn't cover. I'm sorry that my video went off. I don't know what happened to my video. Um, and apologies to you guys watching. If you're on YouTube, my videos was really weird and then went off. So apologies, but um, Alan, thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to basically upload... What time is it? 8.20 p.m. Are you... Is Philly like... If I upload this basically like in the next 40 minutes, will everyone be asleep or people be still awake? Uh, people will be awake. People be awake because you you go to bed yeah. early, hey? Oh, yeah. I've got to train tomorrow morning. Got to train tomorrow morning. That's 100%. See, if you're not going to bed early, what are you doing? Um, nah. So, yeah, I'm going to upload this basically straight away. Alan, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'd be more than happy you, to, of course, man. And, and, and I think this is a great episode. I think this progresses our first one. We did some progressive overload on podcasting. Oh, yeah. Um, Good much better than our overload. first. Yeah. So uh, I'm certainly better at this, this, this gig now, but, um, I'd I actually was thinking, I'd love to have you back on with Liam, uh, at some point, oh, yeah. maybe after yeah, your next yeah. meet and, and, and we'll talk, you know, obviously, yeah, exactly. Cause obviously Liam has a different perspective of everything we just spoke about, about your training and that. Um, so it'd be awesome to have both sides and, yeah again thank you very much um thanks for giving me this opportunity man of course alan i uh, appreciate it uh i'll catch awesome. you guys in the next episode